Hi everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a show dedicated to young believers pursuing the goal of healthy marriage and family. You know, we live in a world where getting married and starting a family is far too often postponed for longer than God designed and pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things. But the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As young believers, we have the choice to prioritize what matters most in our lives every day and to live face to face with God and others. Every Wednesday on this show, I'll be sharing research, conducting interviews, and reviewing articles on the importance of marriage and family for society. I'll also be releasing exclusive content such as spoken word poetry, allegorical short stories, and bonus episodes every Sunday for subscribers. Friends, God did not set us up to live life alone. The truth of the matter is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you're not spending with your life partner. While some might be content to live with the consequences of this arrangement, I would argue that those who wish to spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so. It is my deepest hope that this podcast inspires Generation Z to pursue marriage, become the best spouses and parents the world has ever seen, serve with furious intentionality, love well, and discover the joy of hanging the moon for another. To access my sources, subscribe to the show, or get your copy of my latest book, visit anchor.fm slash seth hensley or check out the show notes of each episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of the Restoring Rapport podcast. Super excited for the content we've got planned out for you guys today. As always, this is a podcast about prioritizing relationship in a world of many distractions and keeping marriage and family central for this next generation of young believers. Guys, it's we're going big things on this show. This is going to be the conclusion of our article reading of David Rook's article, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Uh, it is, again, an article for The Atlantic written in 2020. This is the final week that we've been reading this article. Uh, it's been a wild ride. It's been a good ride. Uh, lots of good stuff in this article. I haven't really disagreed with very much that he's said. There have been a few things that I have disagreed with, but overall, I think he's right on point of uh, diagnosing the problem here. He's gotten a little bit into uh, not providing a solution, but he's gotten a little bit into uh, detailing how families have coped with our, our, our falling apart families, how we've uh, started exploring new options for family. He did that last um, in the last episode. So guys, go ahead and go back and listen to all the episodes that we've recorded of this article so far. It won't make sense if you go out of order, go to part one, and then watch all the way through part five for the full experience. But let's go ahead and pick up where I left off last week. His next heading is, For many people, the era of the nuclear family has been a catastrophe. All forms of inequality are cruel, but family inequality may be the cruelest. It damages the heart. You may be a large, you may be a part of a forged family yourself. I am. In 2015, I was invited to the house of a couple named Kathy and David who had created an extended family-like group in D.C. called All Our Kids, or AOK DC. Some years earlier, Kathy and David had had a kid in D.C. public schools who had a friend named James who often had nothing to eat and no place to stay, so they suggested that he stay with them. That kid had a friend in a similar, in similar circumstances, and those friends had friends. By the time I joined them, roughly 25 kids were having dinner every Thursday night, and several of them were sleeping in the basement. Wow. That's a powerful story right there. I joined the community and never left. They became my chosen family. We have dinner together on Thursday nights, celebrate holidays together, and vacation together. The kids call Kathy and David mom and dad. In the early days, the adults in our clan served as parental figures for the young people, replacing their broken cell phones, supporting them when depression struck, raising money for their college tuition. When a young woman in our group needed a new kidney, David gave her one of his. 
So it sounds like these people, David and Kathy, have just stepped up for a huge way for many of the impoverished children in the D.C. area. And one of those children grew up to be David Brooks, who is the author of this article. What a story. What a profound realization to see, to, to now realize that the guy who's been writing this, this diagnosis on the state of family in this country, came from an impoverished situation himself and had uh, came from a forged family, one that was created not biologically, but one that was created by choice from two uh, loving parental figures, a mom and a dad. Absolutely awesome story. Again, keeping to that theme of the nuclear family having both a present mother and father, uh, keeping that theme here in the Forge family circumstance so that you have both uh, male and female bringing everything that they can to the parenting role, but also it doesn't have to be biological. In other words, this David Brooks guy was basically adopted. It doesn't sound like he was actually legally adopted. It sounds like he just spent all of his time with his family because he had nowhere else to go. Um, and they fed him and uh, let him sleep in the basement. And evidently, David even donated a kidney to one of the kids. So that's just a super powerful story, uh, especially to hear that the author writing this came from that. So he should definitely be entitled to an opinion on the, the state of family in this country, as well as have some uh, special insight into the benefits of having a family. Super, super good. Let's continue, though. We had our primary biological families, which came first, but we also had this family. Now the young people in this forged family are in their 20s and need us less. David and Kathy have left Washington, but they stay in constant contact. The dinners still happen. We see one another and look after one another. The years of eating together and going through life together have created a bond. If a crisis hit, we'd all show up. This experience has convinced me that everyone should have membership in a forged family with people completely unlike themselves. Very good. Very good article here, especially because he's pointing out that basically as individuals, we don't have everything we need uh, to live a life of wholeness and health. We are designed to rely on other people and um, drink from the benefits that they can bring to us since they're different people and they have different skill sets and different benefits. But let's go ahead and continue with the article here. Ever since I started working on this article, a chart has been haunting me. It plots the percentage of people living alone in a country against the nation's GDP. There's a strong correlation. Nations where a fifth of the people live alone, like Denmark and Finland, are a lot richer than nations where almost no one lives alone, like the ones in Latin America or Africa. Rich nations have smaller households than poor nations. The average German lives in a household with 2.7 people. The average Gambian lives in a household with 13.8 people. Hi guys, I want to take a quick break and tell you about an opportunity that you guys have as listeners to become subscribers of this podcast. Now in order to become a sub, all you have to do is follow the subscribe link in the show notes found in the description of each episode. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusive material including additional interviews, all of my spoken word poetry pieces, all of my dramatized allegorical short stories, and even more of my article readings, okay? So lots of content will be available to you that won't be available to anyone else. Subscribing to the show only costs $5 a month, which is less than most people spend on their lunch at work every day, okay? So you won't even notice it disappearing from your bank account. If you enjoy listening to the show and you're looking for an opportunity to financially support the content you care about, this is your chance, okay? Follow the link in the show notes to become a sub. Thank you so much for choosing this show to listen to. And now, without further ado, let's get back to the episode. That chart suggests two things, especially in the, the American context. First, the market wants us to live alone or with just a few people. That way we are mobile, mobile unattached and uncommitted, able to devote enorm, an enormous number of hours to our jobs. 
Second, when people are raised in developed country, when people who are raised in developed countries get money, they buy privacy. Dang, both of those are extremely disturbing uh, ideas there for me personally. For the privileged, this we- this sort of works. The arrangement enables the affluent to dedicate more hours to work and email, unencumbered by family commitments. They can afford to hire people who will do work that extended family used to do. But a lingering sadness lurks, an awareness that life is emotionally vacant when families and close friends aren't physically present, when neighbors aren't geographically or metaphorically close enough for you to lean on them or for you, for them to lean on you. Today's crisis of connection flows from the impoverishment of family life. Dang, guys, that those couple paragraphs right there. Uh, just pointing out that we have chosen to value, well, act particularly richer nations have chosen to value work um, more than family, and therefore they are richer. If you're willing to devote more time to your success and your, your uh, business, your personal growth, your uh, academic and pr- professional achievement, you're probably going to make more money. Whereas people who have more family, their time is, uh, if they have any, if they're, they've got good values, their time is going to be spent in different ways. So uh, that would just explain to me why uh, he that he was talking about the richer nations having fewer family members. Um, some of them as low as two point seven, I think he said. So that's just like a couple and maybe even one child, if that. Um, but wow, uh, I, I don't think that's a good way to live. I'm, I'm certainly not against being wealthy at all, um, but I'm saying that if basically if you're spending so much time on your perhaps your career that you don't even have time to invest in things that might matter more um sure you might be more wealthy but in the end does that really matter does that what what a life of fullness is i would argue that it's definitely not and we've been very clear about our position about that on this show so let's go ahead and continue with this article here i often ask african friends who haven't who have immigrated to america what most struck them when they arrived their answer is always a variation on a theme the loneliness It's the empty suburban street in the middle of the day, maybe with a lone mother pushing a baby carriage on the sidewalk, but nobody else around. For those who are not privileged, the era of isolated nuclear family has been a catastrophe. It's led to broken families or no families, to merry-go-round families that leave children traumatized and isolated, to senior citizens dying alone in a room. All forms of inequality are cruel, but family inequality may be the cruelest. Dang, that is so true. I should actually quote that because people, especially in the professional setting uh, that I've been training in for the past several years now as an as a education major, there is they really drive home the point of equity and inequality and um, providing every child with what they need to succeed. But (laughs) what's funny is. The, the solutions they're providing, they're talking about providing, don't actually hit what the children really need. So, for example, I would say that first children need a stable nuclear family at the very least. A, an extended multi-generational family would be better. But instead of providing, instead of advocating for that, instead of uh, growing the chances that children will have that, instead of talking about therapy and counseling and um, pouring investment into families, we're talking really more about uh and we're really not even talking about marriages and families at all. We're talking more about, um, you know, academic 
assistance and aid, uh, financial assistance and aid, when really that, <laughs> that what's funny to me is that those aren't the problem. The problem goes back to that's just the latest manifestation of a deeper problem. And that deeper problem is a lack of health in our families and marriages. That's what we really need to go to. Uh, and that's what we really need to solve if we're interested in providing children with a better future, not better educational opportunities, not better finance opportunities, not better uh, even environmental opportunities, all those things are great. But again, those are um, those are often solved simply by investing in a healthy marriage and family. That's what we really need to be focusing on. That's where it all starts. If you can't fix where it all starts, then we're never going to fix all the, the side effects that come later. So that's a super good point that he has. All forms of inequality are cruel, but family inequality may be the cruelest. So good. It damages the heart. Eventually, family inequality even undermines the economy of the nuclear family, the economy the nuclear family was meant to serve. Children who, children who grow up in chaos have trouble becoming skilled, stable, and socially mobile employee, employees later on. Dang, he's hitting the head, hitting the nail right on the head, guys, right there. When hyper-individualism kicked gear into gear in the 60s, people experimented with new ways of living that embraced individualistic values. Today we are crawling out from the wreckage of that hyper-individualism, which left many families detached and unsupported, and people are experimenting with more connected ways of living with new shapes and varieties of extended families. Government support can meet can help nurture this experimentation, particularly for the working class and the poor, with things like child tax credits, coaching programs to improve parenting skills and struggling families, subs subsidizing early, early education, and expanding parental leave. While the most important shifts will be cultural and driven by individual choices, family life is under so much social stress and economic pressure that the poorer reaches of American society have no recovery that the poor reaches of American society that have no recovery is likely without some government action. The two-parent family, meanwhile, is not about to go extinct. For many people, especially those with financial and social resources, it is a great way to live and raise children. But a new and more communal ethos is emerging, one that is consistent with the 21st century reality and 21st century values. When we discuss the problems confronting the country, we don't talk about family enough. It feels too judgmental, too, too uncomfortable, maybe even too religious. But the blunt fact is that the nuclear family has been crumbling in slow motion for decades, and many of our other problems with education, mental health, addiction, the quality of the labor force stem from that crumbling. On point. He is just, this last, the way he's closing off this article is just so good. He has mentioned a couple times uh, addressing those things like education, uh, financial uh, aids, and that kind of thing. Uh, and again, I would say that's not solving the problem. That's simply solving a side effect of the problem. And the the, the root problem is the families and marriages. Uh, we're seeing less marriages today than ever before. We're seeing half the half the adult population not even married. Uh, we're seeing the ones that are married, the nuclear families, uh, having difficult times for a number of reasons that he's pointed out in this article. But he's not talking. He's uh, in this past article here. He's not really talked about how we can fix that. He's just sort of diagnosed the problem still. So this this article has been really mainly about an article of diagnosis, which I really don't have a problem with at all. I think it's really important to identify the problem, especially because most people are identifying the wrong problem. As I mentioned earlier, we're blaming, you know, poverty. We're blaming uh, 
these things like uh, financial issues. We don't have enough money to send our kids to college, that kind of thing. We don't have enough uh, government programs. All those are not really the problem. The problem is the the nuclear family uh, problems that we're seeing and the lack of marriages. That's what the problem is. We've left behind the nuclear family paradigm of 1955. For most people, it's not coming back. Americans are hungering to live in extended and forged families in ways that are new and and ancient at the same time. This is a significant opportunity, a chance to thicken and broaden family relationships, a chance to allow more adults and children to live and grow under the loving gaze of a dozen pair of eyes and be caught when they fall by a dozen pair of arms. Dang, so powerful. For decades we have been eating at smaller and smaller tables with fewer and fewer kin. It's time to find a way to bring back the big tables. And that's the end of his article, guys. And what a way to close it, especially because on this show we have addressed the importance of the table before and um, bringing back those long, big banquet tables and bigger families and bigger assemblies and communities. We've talked about the importance of that, the power of doing that, the things that can happen when you have the things that the powerful things that can happen when you have a table and a hospitable setting for people to eat and satisfy basic human need that they can't escape uh, together. So it's super powerful the way that I think he's chosen in this article a super good way to do so. I like that he's woven throughout this article themes of modern and ancient uh, modes of family weaving together to be the new direction, the new trajectory that we have today. I, I like that because it, it's, it's a sense of progressing, improving, yes, but also looking to the past to find the the golden elements of things that we've perhaps lost. It's the kind of the progressivism of progressivism and the conservatism of conservatism um, being put together in an awesome way, I think, because you have the conserving the, the values that worked, um, conserving the things that we must never leave, must never depart from in order to be healthy. And then you also have ways that we can improve on that because no no system is perfect. No, no form is perfect. Uh, we can simply preserve the perfect elements and improve preserve the perfect elements and improve. So that's just what I think I love most about his article here. Uh, he's really drilled home, I think, several reasons uh, for us to preserve the nuclear family, um, even though that's that's his antithetical to his article title, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. He's not actually saying that the nuclear family is bad or that it should be abolished. What he's saying is that it doesn't work for a lot of people, so that we need more than that. He's not quite, he's not calling into the question the fact that uh, a man and a woman married together uh, legally is the best way to raise a family. That's an undisputable fact, I would say. He's not even going to try and argue that, because statistically that produces the best results for men, women, and children when it's a happy marriage. So um, he's not even going to argue that. He's just saying that we need to build on that because that's not working for some people. There are problems with it too. And I would totally agree with him there. There's a lot we can do to improve. It just has to be an unquestionable. So I would say that's the way we need to close off this article here. The nuclear family is a good thing that can be approved, improved upon, and it's our duty to preserve the perfect um, sublime elements of it and to improve it with the new, with new things that might be better for it. For for example, by looking to ancient methods of family uh, and creating bigger families, more uh, uh, families with a larger infrastructure, with a larger support system, uh, that can't be a bad idea. But preserving the, the initial units, the nuclear family, mom, dad, children. Awesome way to go. Love this article by David Brooks here. Again, I found this through a podcast on um, the Dads Building Teams podcast done by uh, Jeff Bethke Jeff Bethke and Jeremy Pryor 
I would highly recommend that podcast. They go through it a little bit quicker. I think they just do like one or two episodes on it and they just cover a couple snippets of it. I, we covered the entire thing. Again, if you want access to the entire thing, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Uh, from there, you will be able to have access to all five parts of this series. So would highly encourage you to do that, as well as listen to the Beth Key and Pryor podcast, the Dad's Building Teams podcast done on the nuclear family was a mistake. Highly, highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite podcast, podcasts of all time, actually. I thought it was extremely well done. They had so many good points. So go ahead and listen to that um, for further research into this topic. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Reach out and let me know what you thought of this series. As a side note, you can also send uh, voice messages into the show now. So if you have a question or comment or a subject that you would like to be discussed on the show and you would like to hear about it, just send me like a, a recording of your own voice and we will. that's your perfect way for you to be on a podcast, number one. It also makes me feel more connected to you. I'd love to hear from you as a listener and hear your voice in my ears as well as you can be broadcasted on the show doing that. So go ahead and send your messages in. Um, the link to do that is in the show notes. And we, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, follow us on social media. We post there a lot of a lot of awesome content for you guys. But thank you so much, and we will talk to you next time.